So it's good to be back this morning. Carrie Lynn and I and our family, we had a last few days of holidays, and um, I kind of saved them intentionally for after the 100th weekend, so I figured it might have been a busy season leading up to that, and, and uh, so we visited a church in Ottawa, and, and I, I missed you guys, really. I, uh, I won't tell you what church we were at, but, um, but I really missed being here, and, and I'm so grateful for a church family uh, that we can be part of and that we can experience God at work in our lives together. And, you know, it really is a choice to journey together, isn't it? Church doesn't just happen by accident. Church family doesn't just kind of mysteriously come together, but we've made a decision, right? We've made a decision to journey together as a church family. And there's something special about that type of commitment. And we look for opportunities to encourage each other, to bless each other, to speak into each other's lives. And so I'm so grateful that you've made a commitment to journey with, with this church family. And uh, it's good. So grateful. Speaking of being away, I think, um, isn't it snowbird season? Uh, Sam and Alva, is this your last Sunday before you head south? Well, God bless you guys. We will miss you. And... Um, We'll see you when we start to see the geese coming back. Maybe that's when you'll come back as well. Uh, anyone else leaving soon to escape the winter? No? Okay. All right. Well, we're all in the same boat. But uh, Sam and Alva, we will miss you and uh, bless you as you, go, as you go south. So just invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We continue on in our series called Overboard. How many of you feel as though you're getting to know Jonah a little bit better as we have been looking at his life a little bit over the past few weeks? I don't know about you, but I do. I kind of feel like, you know, when you've heard a lot about someone and you've never met them, but when you meet them, you kind of think, yeah, I know you, right? So one day when I see Jonah in heaven, I'm going to go up to him and say, hey, Jonah, it's me. He'll be like, what? Hey, we learned all about you. We learned so much about your walk with God, and we studied you as a church family, and now I get to meet you face to face. It's going to happen. And um, I'm just grateful that we have an opportunity to look into God's Word and to learn from His Word today. Um, Just invite you to have an open heart to what God wants to speak to you. But I want to ask you a question before we get too much further. And the question is this, have you ever been given a second chance? Have you ever been given a second chance? chance at some point in your life. Maybe there was an occasion where you let someone down. You gave them your word and you let them down, but they gave you a second chance. Maybe you got caught in a lie and you were given a second chance to regain that person's trust, but the fact is they chose to give you that second chance. Maybe you were given a responsibility and you messed it up really badly, and yet that person gave you a second chance to redeem yourself and to do that job the way it should have been done, and perhaps even to keep your job. They gave you a second chance. You know, we usually accept a second chance with a deep sense of gratitude. If you can think back to a moment where someone's given you a second chance, it's just, it's just an act of grace. Right? It's not usually something we deserve, but, but somehow they've decided, hey, listen, I'm going to take another chance, and I'm going to give you a second chance. And we usually, in those moments, are, are filled with a sense of gratitude. Thank you for another opportunity to allow me to build trust with you. Thank you for another opportunity for me to try that again and actually do it the way it should have been done. And if you've ever been given a second chance, just that act of, of grace, you know that we feel a sense of gratitude 
in those moments. And then perhaps another question, have you ever given someone a second chance? Have you ever been let down by someone and yet you've chosen to give them another opportunity? Have you ever shown that step of grace in in saying, I'm just going to give you another chance? I want to give you a second chance. Maybe that's very difficult for you to do. Maybe you're the type of person that thinks a second chance, not a chance. No way. You've let me down. You've made your bed. Now you're going to lie in it. You're going to experience the consequences of your poor decisions. No second chances for you. I think at times we all struggle with giving someone a second chance, but perhaps you're here this morning and that's a, that's a deeper struggle for you and your thought is, no, once you let me down, that's it. My heart is close to you and you're not getting any opportunity to redeem yourself. I want to just show you a, a one and a half minute clip of a young lady who experienced a second chance in her life. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about the life of Jonah and how this applies to him. Wow, second chances. What an amazing testimony that she has a second chance to begin to make choices differently and to begin to, to live her life differently. So, so let's come now back to the story of Jonah. I just want to read you the last verse of um, chapter 2, and this is where we ended off. I think when Pastor Kyle preached last Sunday, he would have touched on this perhaps. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Imagine this scene for a moment with me. You know, Jonah has been in the belly of the whale, of of the fish, for three days. Uh, He's probably not a very pretty sight. In fact, he probably smells and looks nasty. Uh, he didn't know when that was going to end. He didn't know, but, but at some point he would have sensed that something was going on in the belly of that fish that he was imprisoned in. And all of a sudden he is vomited out onto dry land. Now, I, I imagine that was probably like a projectile vomit, right? The scripture says, it's very clear, it didn't kind of vomit him into the sea, but it vomited him onto dry land. I was thinking, but have you ever been to a circus or seen a circus where they have the guy that gets shot out of the cannon, Right? That perhaps was what it felt like to Jonah. This fish spews him out of its mouth, and he lands on dry land. And I'm sure he was trying to gain his senses, right? He's been in the dark for three days, and all of a sudden there's bright. All of a sudden there's fresh air. Thank God for that. All of a sudden he begins to dawn on him that he's no longer in the belly of that fish, and that that ordeal that he has been in is over, and he perhaps lays there on that beach trying to gather his senses. And I want you to just capture that that moment of Jonah for a moment. Just do you have him in your mind? He's laying there, full of slime, blinking, pale, starting to dawn on him. I'm not in the belly of the fish anymore. Just hold that moment in your mind, because here's the thing. Imagine that we don't know the rest of the story. We do, we do know it, because we have Scripture in front of us, but imagine for a moment that you were looking at that scene, and you begin to wonder to yourself, it, what is going to happen next? Is this the end of the story? Is this the end of this story for Jonah? What, is God going to speak to him again, and is God going to give him another opportunity, and and? Maybe the question is, does Jonah even want a second chance to do what God has called him to do? What is going through Jonah's mind as he lays there in that moment where he's been vomited onto the land by this fish? 
You know, as Jonah was recovering, I was thinking there, there could be two, two schools of thought that he was beginning to think as he laid there trying to gain his, recollect his senses. And I think there's two things that perhaps, that two directions his mind may have been going. Number one, he could have been thinking, get me home. Or the second thought that would have perhaps began to dawn on him was this, give me another chance. You see, if it was the thought, get me home, he would be thinking, you know, I'm, it, it's over, I'm alive. It's over, I'm alive. It's over, I'm alive. <laughs> I didn't die in the belly of that fish, and, and so, boy, I can't wait to just get home. I can't wait to put this behind me. I'm so thankful that I didn't die, and now I've been, uh, you know, I, ha- I still have this opportunity to live life, but just get me home. I want to put Nineveh far behind me. Just get me home. It's finally over. I've paid my dues. I've spent those three days in the belly of the whale. Now get me home. Perhaps that was one school of thought that Jonah may have been thinking. Or a second option is this. As Jonah laid there, he may have begun to think, God, give me a second chance to do what you have asked me to do. God, if only you will give me another chance chance to do what you asked me to do when this whole thing started. God, if only you would speak to me again, I'll obey. I I don't want you to stop speaking into my life. I I don't want to ever stop hearing your voice, God. And so, so God, as I'm laying here, I'm calling out to you. I'm asking that you would give me a second chance, that you would continue to direct my life, that I would continue to know your presence and your voice in my life. And God, if only you would give me that second chance, then I'll do what you're calling me to do. See, Jonah may have been wondering this. He may have wondered to himself, have I ruined any chance of being used by God again? Is my life over as a prophet? See, a prophet was designed to hear the voice of God and then to give a message, and that's what Jonah's purpose was. And he may have wondered, God, is my life over as a prophet? Will, Will I ever hear your voice again? Have I messed up so badly that, God, your presence and your voice will no longer be part of my life. And he may have been wondering some of these thoughts. Am I now going to be set aside, never to know God's purpose in my life again? Have I just messed it up so badly that this is it? Well, then we come to chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You know, that to me is one of the most powerful moments, at least for Jonah. This is one of the most powerful moments in this entire season of his life where the word of the Lord comes to him again and and with a sense of relief, he realizes, God, you are going to speak to me again. I haven't ruined your plans for my life. God, in your grace and in your mercy, I'm hearing your voice again. I'm hearing your voice a second time and, and you're giving me another opportunity. You're giving me a second chance. You see, I don't believe Jonah's was des- de- desire was just get me home. I don't think that's what Jonah's heart condition was in that moment. I think it was the second of those two choices where as he laid there, he began to call out to God and say, God, would you speak to me once again? God, I, I, 
I want to know your voice again. God, please do not stop talking to me. I want to know your presence in my life. God, don't abandon me to my own rebellion. Don't abandon me to my own mistakes. God, I want my future to include your plans for my life. I believe that Jonah was sitting there thinking those thoughts, and then God speaks to him a second time. You know, someone said that God is a God of second chances. How many of you could say that's good news? God specializes in second chances. When we have messed up, when we have rebelled, God gives us second chances again and again and again because of his mercy and his grace that we can't quite fully comprehend that God's heart for us is that we would have an opportunity to turn back to him. And may we never get over the blessing of being given a second chance. You know, I think of some examples in Scripture, and we're looking at Jonah right now, but think of some other moments where people have been given a radical second chance. Think of Joseph's brothers, right? Here, these brothers of Joseph sold him into slavery. They knew they were changing the course of his life. He was a young guy, had all this future ahead of him. They sell him, literally sell him into slavery. And years later, they stand in front of Joseph, and they begin to realize, this is our brother, This is the one we sold into slavery years ago. And to their amazement, Joseph gives them a second chance. He gives them grace and mercy. He doesn't call for the executioner to say, we're done with these guys. Here comes their just desserts for what they've done. No, Joseph gives them a second chance. In fact, he weeps in that moment. And he says, listen, guys, I know that you... You did something terrible, but God has used it for his purposes. I think of Aaron. Remember that moment where the Israelite nation had just come out of slavery from from Egypt, and they're at the mountain of God, and Moses goes up to the mountain, and God is speaking to him face to face there, and he's giving him instruction about how God's people are going to follow him. And down below, what's happening with the people? Well, they're getting restless, and they're thinking to themselves, you know, Moses has been gone so long, he must have died up there. He's probably not coming back. And, and Aaron, who is in charge of them at this moment, he, he caves into the pressure. And what does he do? He says, okay, here's the plan. Bring me all of your gold. We're going to melt it down. We're going to make a cow. And then we're going to worship that thing. What? And so here's what happened. When Moses comes back down, he finds that Aaron has led the people in idol worship. I think to myself, wow, that's a pretty bad day for Aaron. That's an unwise choice, to put it mildly. And you know, God didn't banish Aaron from being part of the Israelite nation. In fact, Aaron was given the position of of the the chief priest, the the one that was in charge of the team that would would bring um, sacrifices to God, that would be part of worshiping God. And so Aaron got a second chance. I don't know if we would have given him that. You think of Peter. We mentioned him earlier in this in this series, and he denied Jesus. Jesus gave him a second chance. I think of Luke chapter 15, where Jesus talks about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. And as he talks about those three characters, those three places that he describes, it it really is designed to help us to understand the Father's heart, the Father's heart for you and I. And it's this, that it's a reminder that when we have lost our way, that God still reaches out to us and calls us back to his heart and to his path. He gives us a second chance. 
Whether we've deliberately turned our back on God or perhaps we've just begun to wander, Jesus in those parables is reminding us that when we are lost, that God calls us back. When we've lost our way, that God wants us to have a second chance and a third chance to follow him and to experience his life instead of our own choices. And so Jonah gets a second chance. And, you know, it's interesting to note that Jonah's second chance didn't mean that he no longer had to obey God's voice. It didn't mean that now he had an exemption from what God had asked him to do, which was to go to Nineveh. No, actually, when God spoke to him a second time, it was the same instruction. Jonah, there's a city that needs to hear a message from God, and I want you to be the one to go and to deliver it. And so here's what was in front of Jonah. Jonah still had the hard work of obedience ahead of him. Perhaps we think that a second chance exempts us from consequences, or a second chance exempts us from the hard work of obeying what God has asked us to do in the first place. But you know, Jonah still had a 500-mile journey to get to Nineveh. Jonah still had a message uh, delivered to a people that were a very crusty group of people, and it wasn't going to be a popular message. Jonah still had this choice to obey In one way, he was back at square one, and and obedience was still job number one for Jonah. God, in his mercy, allowed Jonah to hear his voice again, but he called him to do what he had asked him to do in the first place. You know, it's the same with us, that obedience is so important and it's so difficult. And perhaps there are things that God has asked you to do, and your response has been to run. Your response has been like Jonah, and God's giving you a second chance. And I wonder this morning... What is your second chance? What is my second chance as God speaks to us through his encounter with Jonah? You know, maybe it's an apology that you need to make to your spouse. And you felt God nudging you. You know that he, he wants you to, to take this step. But for whatever reason, you haven't done that. And perhaps God is going to give you a second chance to be obedient. Maybe it's that financial gift that you felt prompted to give and that need that you felt prompted to meet and for whatever reason you just said no. And perhaps God is going to give you a second chance to actually reach out to that person to meet that need that you're aware of. Maybe it's that person that you need to forgive but you've refused. And God will give you a second chance. You'll hear his voice again. You'll feel the nudge of his Holy Spirit again. And my hope and prayer is that when God gives us these second chances, that we would have the courage to obey. That we would say, God, thank you in your grace and in your mercy. You are speaking to me again, and I will say yes, because you've given me another opportunity to obey your voice. Maybe God has asked you to give someone else a second chance, and you've said no. Second chance, not a chance. And perhaps you know that God is speaking to you about that. And God is asking you to give that person a second chance, however that looks in your circumstance. This morning, if God is speaking to you and speaking to me, and if he's giving us a second chance to do what he's asked us to do the first time, then our response needs to be, yes. God, I will say yes to what you're asking me to do. And so Jonah was given a second chance, and instead of running... Away, he ran toward that path of obedience. And I wonder this morning, what what made the difference? 
You see, in the belly of the fish, Jonah had undergone somewhat of a transformation, and in some ways he was a new man, and there had been this crucible of sorts, that this refining in his life that had happened in his life. And so when God speaks to him a second time, the first time his response was, no, God, I'm running the other way. The second time that God speaks to him, he says, God, I'll do it. I'll go. And there was something in between those two different decisions that changed inside of Jonah. There was, there was this work that God had done inwardly to enable him to now say yes to God, where before he had just said no. And it's so important for us to understand because if we are to begin to move from a place of no to a place of yes, then perhaps God wants to do something in our heart so that when we hear God's voice, we can have the courage to say yes. We can begin to just simply say yes and trust him that he'll give us the courage to do what he's asking us to do. What happened in Jonah's life? Well, I think Jonah would have experienced something that Paul refers to as godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. You see, it dawned on Jonah as he was in the belly of that fish that what he had done was, was wrong. And as God began to work in his life and begin to give a transformation, begin to change him, there was something that, that I believe Jonah experienced. And it's, it's something that Paul talks to the Corinthian church about, and it's, it's simply called godly sorrow. It's a good kind of sorrow that at times God wants us to experience that is part of this transformation from no, no, no to, okay, God, I am I'm happy to do what you've asked me to do because I know that there's a blessing there that I've been missing out on. And so Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, and he, he writes his second letter. The first letter, in the first letter, he had heard about some things that were going on in that church, and he had to actually bring a strong rebuke. Paul didn't mince words. He said, listen, what you're doing is wrong. It's sinful. You see, there was, there was this church that was so gifted. I mean, they had the prophetic, you know, all the time. They, they, they knew what it was to experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and yet they really were, were without love for one another. In fact, there was this bickering, this infighting that was happening in that church family. It, it probably wasn't a very healthy or nice place to be. And Paul simply says to them, listen, this is what's going on and it's wrong. And he was very clear in pointing out that area of sin in their church. And then he writes a second letter, and this is where we kind of come into this thought about godly sorrow. I'm going to read it for you. It's on the screen. He says, now I'm glad that I sent it. Sent one. Sent that first letter. He says to the church, hey, I'm glad I sent it to you, not because it hurt you, it did a little bit, but because the pain caused you to repent and to change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow that God, sorry, I think I have it wrong here. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have so that you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. You see, there's, there are moments in our life where God intends for us to experience a good sorrow. And that sorrow is godly sorrow. See, godly sorrow is that moment when we realize that there is sin in our lives that either by the Holy Spirit speaking to us personally or perhaps someone else, God is using them to begin to show us areas in our lives that are just sinful, 
They're not honoring to God. Godly sorrow is that moment where when we realize that and we just begin to come to God and we say, Lord, I, I understand that this area of my life, that there's sin, that I'm walking in a place that is not honoring to you. And godly sorrow brings us to God. It doesn't drive us away from God because God never shames us. He doesn't condemn us. And when Jonah was in the belly of that fish for those three days, God was speaking to him about the condition of his heart. And Jonah began to simply experience, I believe, godly sorrow, this healthy place in him that acknowledged, God, there's sin in my life, and I need to come to you. I need to acknowledge that it's sin. I need to acknowledge that that I, I need your forgiveness for this, and thank you for the forgiveness that there is in Jesus. Thank you that you can cleanse me in this area of my life, and you can begin to transform my heart, my attitude, my actions. You can begin to break off those habits that I'm really enslaved to, and I can begin to live in a new way. And Paul says to the Corinthian church, I'm so glad that there was this godly sorrow that you experienced, because sorrow then leads to repentance. So we need to understand that godly sorrow, sorrow in itself, is a different thing from repentance. So sorrow is coming to this place where we recognize, God, there's, I am, I'm sorry for the sin that's in my life because I know that sin has to do with my relationship with you, that sin isn't just affecting other people. It's not just against other people, but sin is actually something that, that is a relational concept between us and God. It's whenever we choose a path that's not God's path. It's whenever our attitudes or our thoughts and our actions are not reflective of the righteousness that God wants us to walk in. That's what sin is. And so whenever there's godly sorrow, it leads us to another place which is called repentance. And that is this moment where we acknowledge before God, God, there's a place in my life that's sinful. And I thank you that you forgive me of that place. And I ask that you would wash me and cleanse me that I would no longer be walking in this place of having this sinful attitude or having this habit that is sinful that I cannot break. And then what begins to happen is God's power begins to give us the, the ability to actually find new life in that place where once there was just sin and, and darkness and things that weren't very pleasant inwardly. And so Paul says to the Corinthian church, man, that letter hurt you a little bit. I know it did, but it didn't harm you. It wasn't meant to damage you. And Paul said, I'm so glad that you've responded with godly sorrow, that you have gone to God and you've repented, and God is beginning to bring new life in that area of your life. I uh, I brought an egg this morning. it's It's not a boiled egg, so I have to be a little bit careful with it. And um, I just want to share with you something that I think has some spiritual uh, implications for us. Someone said, I read this this week, that, that if an egg is broken, we know that there's a shell around that egg. We know that there's some contents. And if that egg is fertilized, there's some life that that egg contains. And they said this, that if the egg is broken by outward force, if that egg is crushed, then what happens to life? Life ends right? The life that was in that egg ends. If it's crushed by outward force, that life ends. But they went on to say this, that if, it, if that shell is broken by inward force, what happens? Life begins. And then the thought 
that went along with that is that, you know, great things happen inwardly. That the best things in our lives begin inwardly. They begin with this new sense of life within us. You know what the enemy wants to do when you've failed? He wants to crush you. He wants to snuff out any hope that you have in experiencing God's goodness and experiencing life as God has called you to experience it. He wants to condemn you. He wants to shame you. And then he wants you to just sit in that place of condemnation and shame and get stuck there. The enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy. God, on the other hand, says this, a broken and a contrite heart he doesn't despise. In other words, when we come to him with an inward brokenness, with an acknowledgement of our sin, and we just come before him because he's a good, good father, and as he begins to do a work within us, then there's a new life that begins inwardly. Instead of being crushed, that place that, that is sinful can be changed to a place that actually we begin to experience the life of God. There's new life in that place where there was once sin. Now there's freedom. Now there's life. Now God begins to empower us to live out of a new place where once there was sin, now there's life. What an amazing thought that that Jonah kind of went through this process where there was a death of sorts. There was a brokenness that he had to come to. The Corinthian church needed to get to this place where there was an inward brokenness, where they came before God and said, God, we're so sorry we've sinned, and we need your power to be at work in us so that we can live differently in this place in our lives. And so God cleanses us when we come to him with a simple acknowledgement that there's a place in our lives that is not right. And so Paul says, wow, Corinthian church, I'm so glad. Because this is now leading to places of life. This leads to salvation. And then he goes on and he says, you know, worldly sorrow which lacks repentance. We can feel sorry for ourselves. We can blame everyone else around us. We can look for who to blame. We can feel sorrowful, but if it doesn't lead to a place of repentance, which is a relational word, if we don't go to God and begin to acknowledge our sinfulness, then we'll get stuck in the sorrow, and that leads nowhere good. It doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead to transformation inwardly. Real Life Ministries is, uh, is a ministry out of the U.S., and, and their whole design is to help people with sexual addiction to find freedom. And they come across examples of godly sorrow and worldly sorrow often in, as they work with people who struggle with sexual addiction. And, and I just was reading about this a little bit this week, and, and, and they said this. They said, two men can come to find help. Two men can come to their ministry to find help, and, and their sin has been exposed Both of them have hurt their families. Both have lost their jobs. Both have suffered financial loss. Both have incurred damage to their reputations. And so in many ways, those two men, their stories are identical. There's so many similarities in their stories, and yet their reaction and their response can be very different. And the first man cries out to God, asking for God's mercy. The first man realizes that his sin is an affront to God. It hasn't just hurt people around him, but it's actually an affront to God. He knows that he has hurt others and he pleads to God not for himself but for his wife and for his children that there would be healing in their lives because he's brought pain to them. He accepts responsibility for the pain he has caused. He cries out to God for forgiveness 
And he thanks God for the forgiveness that is found in Jesus. And as, as he begins to do this, there becomes a, a, true, a true change in his heart. He hates the sin that he once cherished, it, and he realizes that as he comes before God with repentant heart, with an inward brokenness, that he begins to find freedom. That there is actually new life that begins in this place that was once such a struggle for him. That's the first man. The second man whose situation appears to be identical, he cries out to God, he also confesses his sin, and yet he remains completely self-focused. He grieves over his losses. He bemoans the unfair treatment he has received. He demands justice. He has great remorse and guilt, but it's for his own pain and not for the pain of others. There's no brokenness inwardly. And finally, he plunges into self-pity and into a place of despair. And he never finds true healing or true transformation. In church, this is what Paul was talking about when he said there's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. And godly sorrow acknowledges, God, you're a good father. You already know my sin. And I need to come before you with a broken and contrite heart. And I need to begin to allow you to change me because I don't want to keep going back to that place in my thoughts, in my life, in my attitude. God, I want, I want you to change, change me. And then God begins to do that. And that's what godly sorrow does. It leads us to repentance, which leads us to a place of new life. I'm just going to ask Stephanie if she'd come back, and we're going to celebrate communion. So I believe that Jonah experienced godly sorrow, and it allowed him to accept that second chance that God was giving him. It allowed him to step into a newness. You know, I wonder if he was laying on the beach that day, if there wasn't just this overwhelming joy. God, I'm free, and you've changed me, and I'm free now to begin to live differently in that area of rebellion. Now I can begin to walk in obedience to God. What a, what a freedom I sense. Now, Scripture says that Jesus came to set the captives free. And just a final thought as we come to communion. Second chances are not all about us. You see, your obedience and my obedience has an impact on those around us. What does Scripture say? Jonah makes his way to Nineveh and Scripture says, on the first day Jonah started into the city and he began to proclaim, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God, they declared a fast, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. They, they responded to this, this message from God that was saying to them, you're on the wrong path, you're on a path of destruction, and God was calling them to a path uh, of knowing him and a path of life, and they responded. And so Jonah... His second chance was about more than just himself. It was about others. And a revival began to spread to every corner of that city as people humbled themselves and they turned to God. And this morning we're going to conclude by coming to the table of communion. And perhaps as we, as we come this morning, I'm so thankful for second chances. And if God is speaking to you about an area of your life where he's calling you back to that place of obedience where you said no in some area of your life and God is saying, listen, I'm calling you back. I'm giving you a second chance. And, and you can trust and know that God will give you the courage to be obedient. That saying yes to God is always the better choice. That it leads to us experiencing the path that he has for us. 
So could we stand this morning? I'm so thankful that we can live a new life because of the power of Jesus and what he's done for us. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he recognized that there's, there's an inward change in him because of Jesus. And he says this, he says, I am crucified with Christ. He realized that his sin and the debt of his sin went to the cross with Jesus. And then he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. What an amazing thought to come to the communion table with this morning that we can say, God, I'm so thankful that my old nature has been overcome, that that slavery to sin is is broken by the blood of Jesus, by what Jesus has done, and I can begin to walk in a place of freedom in my life. I can begin to walk in a place of cleansing in my life. I can actually experience an inward change that is lasting and that is transformational. Because Jesus, you have done for me what I could not do for myself. I'm going to ask you'd come and you would just take your emblems and take them back to your seat. And then in a moment, we're just going to close together by taking communion with each other. Would you do that? Would you come? Take your emblems back to your seat.